Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania is facing a $1.7 billion budget deficit when the new fiscal year begins and a $600 million budget for, uh, shortfall for the current fiscal year. The forecast by the state's independent fiscal office comes a few months before Governor Tom Wolf outlines his budget plans for 2017-18, but looms over whatever the governor proposes and the legislature acts on with new spending plans. Joining us today is Matthew Niddle, who is director of the Pennsylvania Independent Fiscal Office that made those forecasts. Matt Niddle, welcome to the program. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. If you have a question or comment, I know it's early for budget talk, but uh, maybe not too early. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, uh, Matthew, if you were to describe the state's current fiscal situation, what words would you use? Uh, I would use the word challenging, um, both for this year and the the long-term outlook. Uh, As you noted, uh, for the current fiscal year, we think we're facing a shortfall that could range from roughly $500 to $900 million. Uh, For next fiscal year, it could range from $1.7 to $2.1 billion. And then the long-term outlook, we think there's a what we refer to as a structural deficit of about 2.5 to 3.0 billion dollars. When you say 500 to 900 million dollars, obviously it's very difficult to say, ah, here's the figure exactly what it's going to be especially 6 months down the road, but where do we come up with 600? Uh there are two pieces to that really. Uh roughly the 500 million we think is a shortfall in revenues. Um the administration uh, had a general fund revenue estimate that they issue in July. And uh, for various reasons, the uh, revenues are not coming in uh, as we expected. Uh, In particular, our sales tax and our personal income taxes are running a little weak. Uh, So that's about 500 million of the shortfall. Another 400 million could come from additional uh, appropriations that are needed for the Department of Human Services. So the the combination of the two uh, gets you to 900 million. All right, so when you say could come from the Department of Human Services, what in particular? Well, the department uh, had identified back in the fall that they may need an additional $400 million, uh, and most of those additional funds are related to Medicaid programs or long-term care for the elderly uh, that may be needed. Now, I say may be needed because they haven't been uh, appropriated, they haven't been proposed yet. The department just identified the possibility that they could need those funds. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the specifics there, I want to take a step back into some of the more more specific things of, uh, you know, why we have a $600 million budget. You kind of touched on this, but explain a little bit more of why we don't have as much revenue coming in. Uh, What we think occurred uh, in particular in the the first quarter of this fiscal year, and that would be July, uh, August, and September, uh, we hit a weak patch, and we're not sure what drove it. Uh, We could point to several different uh, factors. Uh, One could be the election. So anytime you have uncertainty, uh, businesses uh, might go into a holding pattern. They may not uh, invest and spend as they usually would because they're waiting to see uh, what the new, new administration will bring in. We also think part of the story is just this low inflation environment. So in, when we have very low inflation, firms don't have pricing power. Uh, it hurts their profits. And workers don't get raises. And they're less inclined to spend. So we think the combination of those two factors caused the economy to hit a soft patch. Uh, the, good, the good news is that we think we've uh, started to move by that. Uh, of course, with the election, we reduced the uncertainty. 
uh, to some extent. No, I was going to say, we'll talk about that uncertainty uh, a, a little bit. That election, what I, I, I don't remember anything in my lifetime where an election had the impact on so many different parts of the country. And I'm not talking geographic. I'm talking about, uh, you know, different areas in mm-hmm. the economy and around the country that this this election like sucked the air out of everything. Yeah, it did dominate the news. Uh, it really you know. did. And it did create that sense of uncertainty. I, I would agree with that, even more than in prior elections. And, uh, of course, the Trump administration um, has significant plans on the tax side for tax changes. And uh, we think there's the possibility that that may affect people's behavior even right now. Uh, they may anticipate a tax cut. And if that's the case, they may uh, change their behavior. For example, they may uh, not... Uh, cash in a stock because they think the tax rates will fall next year. So there's the potential that that could impact our revenues even further this year. I don't want to talk more about that, but uh, you know, the, um, I, I th- find it fascinating when you say that inflation, uh, that this low inflation atmosphere that we've been, no, we've been in this low inflation atmosphere for some time now. Mm-hmm. Why now are we seeing, uh, you know, some of the results of it? Uh, that's a good question, and we, I don't have a, a ready answer for that. I, generally, it takes a, a few years to percolate through the economy. So uh, in low inflation may, may take hold, but then in order for it to show up in, in workers' wages where they're not getting pay increases, that may, might take one or two years to show up. For example, you might have uh, contracts that are still in place that are not affected, but when they're renegotiated, then you see the impact of these these low inflation or colas. And we saw with Social Security the last two years, mm. uh, there either hasn't been a cola or it's been very modest. So it takes a few a few uh, years for these things to work their way down uh, into the economy. If you talk about low inflation to the average consumer and their spending power, they'll say that's great. You know, we've inflation has not been a factor, so mm. prices haven't gone up as much. I mean, one of the reasons that Inflation, let's face it, has been down the last two years has been gasoline, mm-hmm. fuel prices, uh, uh, you know, even natural gas, so heating homes. Uh, and that kind of influences the inflation rate overall. There have been others that have gone up. But bottom line is that as a consumer and you hear low inflation, you think, oh, things are great. Yeah, generally, we would regard that as a positive. Uh, however, there are some uh, psychological impacts here as well. So uh, folks who aren't, aren't getting pay raises, again, are less inclined to spend, even if prices are, are flat and they're not increasing. So you might have a case where somebody's getting a, a 1% pay increase, but there's no inflation, uh, versus somebody who's getting a, a 4% pay increase, and there's 2% inflation. That latter case, uh, psychologically, it makes it appear as, a, as if you have greater take-home pay and that makes people uh, more inclined to spend. So I'd say a lot of it is psychological. And for those reasons, that's one of the reasons why the uh, Federal Reserve shoots for a kind of a low inflation rate of 2%. They don't shoot for zero. Uh, A little inflation is actually good for the economy because uh, it's a psychological impact. And actually, we've heard the word deflation Mm -hmm. uh, the last few years. What is that, and have we reached that point? Deflation is actually uh, where we encounter uh, falling prices on average, and we actually did see that last year. Uh, The Philadelphia Consumer Price Index for 2015, the average level, uh, it actually declined by 0.1 percentage points. So very minor deflation, um, very unusual. Uh, For this year, we think the inflation rate for the Philadelphia metro region 
will be about one percentage point. So again, we still have very low inflation. And as you noted, it was mainly driven by low energy prices. Uh, recently, we've seen OPEC uh, come to some agreement to cut back production. So I, I would expect that energy prices would begin to pick up again and then we would see uh, inflation also begin to accelerate. I realize if you're tuning in, you're, you're, you're thinking, well, they're just having a, an economic discussion. No, this discussion is you know, related to the budget deficits that we're, discussing, that, that we're talking about, and uh, we'll get back into the specifics of that in, in just a moment. But you know, something you just mentioned, uh, I think most people, and I can't speak for everyone, but there are a lot of people out there that don't, pay close attention and, and you know when they hear the news stories about the Fed meeting and deciding whether to raise interest rates how to control inflation a lot of times their eyes glaze over and they don't think very much about it but you as someone who is looking down the road what are you looking for from the Fed that would improve the situation here in Pennsylvania the the Fed they will meet uh, next week on December thirteenth and fourteenth, and uh, it's widely anticipated that they will increase the uh, the federal funds rate by about a quarter point. Uh, and I think that expectation is now taken hold in the stock market and um, has been what we call baked in. Um, so the Fed is now trying to get ahead of any inflation that could take hold. And again, they're still shooting for that that two percent rate, which they view as the uh, the ideal. Uh, if they could hit that 2% rate, I, I do think that's probably the best outcome, both for the state and the national economies. Again, uh, a, a low rate such as that does um, give a boost to consumer spending. It does give a, a boost to uh, business investment. And again, a lot of it is psychological, but it does have a real impact on the economy. So we should track what they do very closely. Mm. Okay, let's get back to uh, your, your forecast. So the $600 million shortfall at the end of this fiscal year, what does that mean? How can it be made up? Well, there are a few options for this year. And again, let me roll in next year as well, because okay. the governor right. will address that. Yeah, you can't just do one without the other. Correct. So yeah. next year, we think there's maybe $1.7 billion. And uh, there are a number of options, Scott, but let's just focus on the revenue side if we can. Uh, I think there's probably four options that, that could be uh, appear in the governor's budget um, in order to address that. And again, if we're just talking about revenues, one, of course, is the personal income tax, which is uh, the largest revenue generator, uh, generates about $13 billion. Uh, there, we could increase the tax rate. It's currently at 3.07%. Um, and a one percentage point increase would generate about $4 billion. We could also expand the tax base. Uh, currently, Pennsylvania doesn't tax Social Security income, doesn't tax pension income. Many states do so, but uh, of course, that has issues of its own. Uh, another possibility is a sales tax, the second largest generator. Uh, we could, again, raise the rate. It's at 6%. If we raise it by one percentage point, that's about $1.8 billion. We could also expand the sales tax base. Pennsylvania has one of the narrowest sales tax base in the U.S. Um, things that could be uh, brought into the tax base uh, that have been proposed in the past, basic cable services, um, movie admissions, things such as that. Those are fairly uh, easy to, to expand the system. Uh, more difficult will be items such as clothing, which many states tax as well. And then finally, you have things such as health care or, or legal services, which are, are more difficult to tax, um, and most states don't tax those currently. 
But I just noticed that uh, all the things you talked about, now Governor Wolf has brought up all those things in the past two years. Uh, all those things are tax increases. That probably is not going to fly with Republicans who are going to say, okay, we, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem that we need to find ways to cut back on spending. And that's the other option, of course. Both uh, both sides are open to um, to action, both the revenues and expenditures. But if we go over to the spending side, uh, just to, again, give your listeners a ballpark of what we're talking about, uh, total general fund spending is about $32 billion. So if we implemented a 1% across-the-board cut, a sequester, that would raise or uh, about $320 million of savings. So if we're talking $2 billion um, and 1% across the board cut is about 320, uh, it's helpful, but it doesn't get us to where we need to go. And moreover, a lot of the spending in the budget is mandatory. Uh, debt service, we have to pay that. Uh, pension contributions, uh, they could be changed, but that requires a change in the statute and is, is uh, difficult to do. So um, both sides need to be looked at, but cutting the spending um, can be difficult in many areas. Mm -hmm. The word sequester, I don't know, has a very negative connotation to it. Uh, we think about a few years ago in uh, Washington when the word sequester was used and actually a sequester was implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that turn out, by the way, and is it something that we can learn from here in Pennsylvania? I think that was... Uh, part of the fiscal cliff that you alluded right, to back right. in 2013. Oh, yeah, there were some dire names for the, some of these things. <laughs> and, uh, well, with the sequester, there was also some tax increases as well, all rolled up together. So we had the ACA, the 3.8% investment tax, the higher tax on, on upper income. Um, I would say it, uh, it certainly um, slowed down economic growth from what it would have been. But I would also say that the U.S. economy is, is very resilient and, and uh, has demonstrated that in the past, whether it's a tax increase or a tax cut. Uh, it does move the needle, but perhaps not as much as we thought. We'll talk about Pennsylvania in particular uh, with uh, the Pennsylvania economy in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Matthew Niddle, director of the Pennsylvania Independent Fiscal Office. The IFO has made forecasts that uh, Pennsylvania will have a $600 million budget shortfall at the end of this fiscal year and a $1.7 billion budget, structural budget uh, shortfall or deficit uh, at the beginning of next year that uh, somehow will have to be closed. Uh, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at w WITF.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page as well. That number is 1 800 729 7532. All right, I want to touch on a few things that you had mentioned earlier. Public pensions. And when you were talking about human services, you also uh, mentioned, uh, you know, the ACA and uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, so let's talk about those two in particular. Public pensions, you know, I think, you know, the numbers fluctuate. In fact, they fluctuate up all the time. But we're looking at a more than $60 billion uh, deficit when it comes to funding public pensions, former state workers, educators, teachers in this state. This has been a priority of Republicans, uh, especially Republicans in the state Senate. Um, the administration, the Wolf administration has taken some moves, but 
hasn't gone as far as what the Republicans want. So where are we and how is that adding to the deficit if we do not have some public pension reform or more than what we have now? Yeah, just to review where we are with the pension, as you noted, um, the number is about $60 billion of unfunded liability uh, currently for the two systems, that's uh, SERS and PSERS. And um, the funded ratios range from about 58 to 60% um, funded. And uh, analysts generally like that to be about 80% if that can be managed. If you're down at 60%, it's considered uh, uh, very underfunded. Um, Contributing to the deficit, uh, the last few years, uh, I would characterize pension contributions as a, a major cost driver. Uh, however, um, based on the, um, the current pattern and what we expect to happen, um, the pension uh, increases have almost topped out. In fact, in the next year or two, uh, we expect a very uh, modest growth in pension contributions. And in fact, for one of the systems, after two or three years, they actually start to decline. So, okay, explain that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Well, the um, the employer, so by statute, the employer contributions right now are, are at about 30%. Okay. So 30% of their pay has to go towards pensions. Um, under the, the current uh, uh, statute, that will increase to about 32%, uh, 33%, and then it will level off or actually start to decline. And I forget if it's for SERS or PSERS. Mm -hmm. So the... Um, the pension um, cost drivers, uh, while it has been an issue in the past, um, and there's still significant contributions, the increase to those contributions uh, are going to drop off uh, very quickly over the next few years. So what does that mean to the deficit? Uh, that means going forward that it won't be a, a contributor to the, the shortfall as it has been in the past. And again, let me emphasize that, that we can't point to one thing that's causing the deficit. You know, it's not health care or pensions. It's just that some things grow quicker than others. And that has been the case for pensions in the past, but that won't be the case uh, in the future. It will remain at the, the high level it's now attained, but it won't continue to increase as it has. If that... Uh pension debt deficit stays where it is, $60 billion in, the, in that range. What does that mean for the state's budget going forward? And it's not just the state. Also, local school districts, municipalities. I mean, we're talking different, different pension plans, but still, everyone seems to be dealing with this issue. You know, for the state, if they do stick to the, the scheduled contributions, uh, what should happen in theory is that should be eroded. Um, it should become more funded over time, and it should actually approach 100% funding after 30 years. Now, of course, that assumes that the 7.25% the uh, rate of return that's baked into all these projections holds up, and uh, it may not. It, it could be much less than that. Um, what we've noted is that the bond rating agencies look very closely at what's happening with the, the pension contributions and that funded ratio. So if it continues to remain at the low level, of course, that will affect the bond rating and that will affect the, the debt service cost. Let's talk about that because uh, I wonder how much uh, you know, we've heard about Pennsylvania's bond ratings going down over the last few years. How much has that impacted or contributed to this budget deficit? That's a good question, and uh, my office has actually looked at that and tried to isolate the, the impact of the lower bond rating, but it's, it's very difficult to isolate. We can only say it's been negative, but in order to quantify it, it's, it's hard to put a figure on that. Uh, most recently, um, I would note, though, that Moody's 
removed the negative outlook uh, from Pennsylvania for the most recent bond issuance. Now, whether that stays that way over the next two or three months uh, is, is unclear. But the, for the most recent bond issuance, they did remove that negative rating. Mm -hmm. And just so everyone knows out there, difference is that we pay higher interest rates on our debt service. That you know what we borrow, we pay a higher higher amount of uh, interest on that. Let's take some phone calls. Fred is in Harrisburg. Fred, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Could you explain uh, more in depth the concept of the structural deficit, and if indeed it's a matter of you start the new fiscal year before you fund any programs, you actually have to address that structural deficit. So what are the sources of it, and what has to be done about it? Thank you. Great question, Fred. So by structural deficit, what we mean uh, is, is kind of a, a long-term steady-state concept. So in any budget year, and for this budget year, there's a lot of temporary uh, things occurring. Uh, we're, we're taking out a loan. We're delaying some payments. And the structural deficit is what remains after all of those temporary measures have uh, largely played themselves out. It's also uh, what happens when we think the Pennsylvania economy returns to a normal rate of growth. And we think we're largely there right now, what could be expected in the long term. So that's what we mean by structural. You know, after only permanent uh, uh, tax law, only permanent spending, nothing temporary, and the economy is growing at a normal rate. I would imagine that that it's probably one of the biggest challenges you have, legislators, the governor has, is because it is structural and it is looking down the road. Do you ever get disagreement, or is that the area where you get the most disagreement when it comes to numbers? There is uh, some disagreement because uh, when one makes these projections, there are a lot of assumptions that have to be made, and we try to make reasonable assumptions. And so... Uh, one might assume that the economy will grow a little quicker, and of course, that can have a significant impact on the deficit four or five years uh, in the future. So uh, while one might, uh, I would characterize it in this fashion, while one might quibble over, you know, two and a half to three billion long term, uh, I don't think there's any disagreement that it's significant, that it's probably several billion dollars. Something you just mentioned, though, um, we have six months to go, more than six months before the end of this fiscal year. And right now you're looking at, as you said, a five to nine hundred million dollar deficit. But we pointed it at six hundred million. Is there any reason for optimism that the economy will pick up here in Pennsylvania? There will be an increase in sales taxes. Uh, there will be more personal income tax revenue coming in. Uh, that's always possible. Um, and, and we do think uh, from what we've seen in the past month that things are picking up uh, slowly. Uh, again, we had that soft patch. We think we've moved past it. Uh, to make up for the $600 million, uh, I think that will be difficult to do, uh, even if the economy does pick up a bit. Um, now, there are some things that uh, could occur. Um, they did have some changing to uh, gaming built into the budget that was going to be enacted that could add some money. Um, whether or not that occurs, I'm not sure. But Legislature has to act on that, yeah. That's correct. Um, but left to its own uh, devices, and if no changes were enacted... Uh, it's probably the case that even if the economy picked up, that it would be very difficult to cover the $600 million shortfall. I assume that you take into account, uh, you know, what's happened previously. And the reason I ask that question is, uh, you know, obviously, we're entering a period of the year. We're in it right now where consumers spend more money. I'm assuming you t take that into account. 
Oh, yes. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're watching that very closely. And uh, there's good news there. I, I think the, the indications that we're seeing is that the, uh, the holiday spending season has so far uh, been pretty good. It's been solid. Um, so we're, we're encouraged by that. Uh, we won't know until uh, the 20th of this month when we start to get the sales tax collections. But there could be a little upside there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question here about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Dave is in Lewisburg. Dave, you're on the air. I know that people look to their leaders to be role models, and I've heard a lot of friends, a lot of smart people say that they're basically following in Trump's role model of not paying any taxes. I'm wondering if that's something that you've heard about and if that is going to have an impact on our budget. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Now, that's no paying, no federal taxes. I don't know whether uh, Donald Trump paid state taxes or not, but uh, just just his question. What do you what do you think? Um, that would be more uh, given the way if we can look at the specific example that, that Donald Trump uh, eliminated uh, his taxes going forward was from a, a tax loss on, on real estate. Um, what I would say is that that's more difficult to do at the state level than at the federal level, given the, the, the tax laws. Um, I can say that with the new administration, we, we do think there's already some uh, behavior that, that may affect revenues, as we discussed earlier for this year. Well, we touched on it, but let's you know go into that a little bit more. What do you mean? Sure. Well, if you look at the, the Trump plan, and of course, once this gets through Congress, it, it, it'll be very different. But uh, there's a significant reduction in the corporate income tax uh, from 35 percent down to 15. And then there's a significant change in uh, personal income taxes. So we currently have seven different rate brackets, and we'll go down to three, 12 percent, 25, and 33 percent. So there's a, a significant tax cut both for individuals and businesses. And uh, the analysis I've seen suggests it's about a $6 trillion tax cut over the next decade. So now That's on the federal level. Yeah, that's on the federal level. Now, right. some of that, of course, would, would affect Pennsylvania as well. And, uh, of course, if uh, your federal taxes are cut, we would all else equal, we'd imagine that would have a positive impact on the Pennsylvania economy. Uh, there's also the item that the, uh, the, administra- the incoming administration is proposing, and that's to eliminate the deduction for state and local taxes. So currently, of course, on the federal form, you can deduct your income tax, your property tax. Uh, the administration is uh, proposing to eliminate that, which will uh, make it more. They're in fact subsidizing the the local tax system now. Um, if that's eliminated, that won't occur anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from what uh, we know of what Donald Trump has proposed. Uh, what does it mean as far as federal funding to Pennsylvania? I mean, are there areas in particular, and maybe it's too soon to tell, but are there areas to look at where we may see cuts from the federal government coming to Pennsylvania or maybe reductions? The primary area that we would look at that's received a lot of attention, of course, is the Affordable Care Act. So there's, uh, it seems um, there's a possibility that that could be... um, eliminated. And uh, if that occurs, it's, it's unclear what will happen. Um, and uh, because we're not sure, there were some uh, individuals who were moved over from full state uh, reimbursement over to the federal government about two or three years ago. And we're not sure whether they would move back 
uh, to coverage under the state. So we're not sure what will occur if the ACA was, in fact, eliminated. All right. Well, let's talk about that because uh, you mentioned in your report that uh, Medicaid expansion, which occurred uh, the first year of the Wolf administration as part of the ACA, uh, that that is something that could contribute to, we're going to need more money, basically. You talked about that earlier a little bit when you said five to $900 million. But, you know, many people were under the impression that the federal government was taking care of this. Mm-hmm. This was not going to cost. We knew that eventually it would cost the state. But are the, is that, you know, something now that we are seeing? Yeah, just to give a little context to your listeners, Scott. Uh, so about three years ago, uh, we did, uh, excuse me, two years ago, uh, expand and um, adopted the ACA. And uh, that immediately resulted in budget savings of about 500 to 600 million dollars that were uh, recognized that year and uh, are currently in the the budget. Uh, what's happening right now is we're moving from full federal reimbursement of, of 100% and currently we phase down to no, uh, 95%. So the state is picking up 5% of the cost now and then through 2020 uh, the state will pick up 10% of the cost. So every year we're picking up about one percentage point more of this cost and those numbers uh, are, are baked into our, our projections going forward and are uh, contributing to the, the shortfall. Mm-hmm. We have an email here from Dave, and uh, I'm going to read it as it is and uh, see if you can answer this question or not. Uh, and again, this is as Dave wrote the question. So uh, please ask him about the cost of uh, the bloated state legislature and how that affects the budget. Pennsylvania rated fourth from the bottom in efficiency by Fiscal Note Incorporated. Uh, how much does the cost of the legislature, and we know that Pennsylvania has the most expensive legislature in the country, how much does the cost of the legislature contribute to all this? Well, perhaps the best way to answer that question is just, again, to provide a little context. Um, uh, again, the uh, the total spend number is about, let's say, $32 billion. Uh, of that total spending, two departments, education and human services, comprise 80% of it. If we put corrections in there, uh, then it's about 86 or 87% of it. So the great majority of the spending is due to those three agencies. So while the legislature may uh, be larger or have more spending than, than other states in the, in the larger picture, it probably wouldn't have that big a, uh, an impact on the, the projected shortfall. Uh, you know, and I'm... I'm not surprised, put it that way, by some of the uh, emails that we're getting that uh, there are Pennsylvanians who have uh, a negative point of view when it comes to some of this. And again, here's one from Laura that I'll just read. She said, as a recent arrival to Pennsylvania from Virginia, I'm astounded by the poor fiscal situation in Pennsylvania. The state is rated as having one of the worst tax systems in terms of who it taxes. The most wealthy pay a lesser rate than middle and low income earners. Yes, higher income earners pay more in actual Dollars, but they have whipped more way to dispose of that income that is left. It's no wonder the young people are fleeing the state. Wages are lower. Taxes are higher. It's a shame that taxes have been so demonized. Taxes should be efficient and fair, but we have needs, and these are people with needs, and we are facing a structural problem that may ruin the state. One thing I would point out there that, uh, you know, the rate, Pennsylvania is a flat tax uh, state, so uh, the rates that uh, your income are paying is the same here in Pennsylvania. Now, people with higher incomes able to take advantages of maybe some uh, you know, tax breaks and that kind of thing, we know that, that that does occur. How does Pennsylvania, and I don't know if this is something you, your office looks at or not, but do you compare us to other states? 
We do. We have done that in the past, and uh, for those who are interested, we do have a report uh, on our website that compares uh, the Pennsylvania, uh, for lack of a better term, tax burden to to other states, all 50 states, and we compare it uh, across the different revenue sources. Uh, and so these are common studies that are put out by many different uh, entities. For example, the, the Tax Foundation in Washington will also put out a similar study. Ours is a little different. Uh, but what we find, if you look across all tax sources, is, is Pennsylvania really ranks right in the middle of the 50 states. Uh, in some things, we're a little lower uh, in, in terms of uh, how we rely on them. For example, sales taxes, we have a, a relatively narrow base. For other things, we're, we're a bit higher on, uh, and I would point to um, gaming and things such as that. We rely on that much more than many other states. Uh, but that's, that's available on our website for those who are interested. What is your website? Uh, it's uh, ifo.state.pa.us. Mm-hmm. Matthew Ninnell is the director of the Pennsylvania Independent Fiscal Office. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. One final question. Where do we go with all this? This is a lot of information, and when I say we, I'm talking about Pennsylvanians overall, the legislature, the governor. Where do we go with it all? Well, I think we just we pay close attention to the developments going forward and recognize that it's going to be, uh, I think, a very difficult budget season once again, and there's some uh, very significant challenges in front of us that, uh, you know, there's no uh, magic bullet. There's no single solution to it. It's going to require... Um, that uh, the parties work together, the administration, the General Assembly, to address these issues. And uh, um, you can't, I don't think you can just address it uh, on one side. I think uh, everything needs to be open for discussion, both uh, expenditures, revenues, in order to address this problem. Matthew Ninnell, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The clock is ticking on the layoffs of more than 500 state workers at unemployment compensation call centers just before the holidays. Governor Tom Wolf and Senate Republicans are blaming each other for the layoffs. A bill to provide more than $57 million to the call centers wasn't voted on by the Republican-controlled Senate before adjourning for the year. Just one of the issues we want to talk with uh, Katie Meyer, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief, with about today. Katie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Where are we? And uh, for those who haven't been following this story, kind of bring us up to date on uh, what's occurring in a couple weeks and how it it has occurred. Sure. So um, there's a lot here, but I think uh, the best way to start. So in a couple of weeks, over 500 employees are going to be laid off from the state's unemployment compensation center. So those are the jobless centers around the state. And it's the whole unemployment compensation program. It's more than just the jobless centers. Lots of restructuring is happening. And so lots of people are going to be losing jobs. I think 521 people was the last number I heard. Um, So they're losing their jobs. And as you said, that goes back to a bill that was slated to be voted on in mid-November when uh, the legislature was ending its session. Now, so this bill would have extended a funding stream that had been given to the Unemployment Compensation Program for four years. And it was slated to end this year. The bill, the funding was going to be gone. And the funding was earmarked for the Unemployment Compensation Program to do two major things, to slow down or to um, decrease the wait times in their call centers because they had been very long, which they did, and also to update its old um, computer system that it had been using. It was like a 40-year-old system. Now, that has not been done yet, and so they said they needed another year of funding. Initially, they said four years, but then the bill that was being voted on was a year. 
Um, the Senate GOP took issue with that. The bill did pass through the House. It passed through Senate committees. But when it came to the full Senate vote, they did not vote on it. And so that funding is not being given to the program. And so that's um, now layoffs are happening. OK, so just so just so everyone knows, what was the reasoning behind the state Senate Republican controlled Senate as to why they did not vote on it? Sure. This is where we get into the really contentious part the of politics, this. Right. Right. So um, the Senate says that and again, the GOP led Senate and we have a Democrat governor. Um, the Senate says that the governor and the Democrats, they did not give them enough information about where the funding was going. They said that there wasn't there weren't specific dates that were going to be um, they wanted specific dates that would tell them when that funding would no longer be necessary. They feel like they didn't get that. Um, and now on the governor's side, um, they did send over they like released publicly all the paperwork that they had sent to the Senate and they did show where they had said we have you know a plan to wean this off but they didn't give dates so it's sort of they say they gave them plenty of information the Senate says this is irresponsible we needed more specific information and they're just sort of at loggerheads about that fact okay well we have a couple we, we yes. heard from both sides here. Uh, in the last week of November, just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Governor Wolf spoke to, to WITF's uh, Radio Pennsylvania with Brad Christman about the layoffs. The governor talked about how surprised he was by the Senate's lack of action or taking a vote. It costs about a million and a half dollars every week, uh, and we don't have the authorization. So if they're not coming back till January... We can't afford to to wait. And again, based on w what what optimism should I have that, that this is going to actually pass, I actually asked for it. We actually held off making the announcement because we thought that the Senate would act. Uh, and then just uh, they didn't. You feeling a little burned over that? I am. Yeah. I think we ought to feel burned. I think uh, we, we, we uh, uh, elections have consequences, and we're seeing some of the consequences of uh, people we voted for. So that's the governor explaining at that point, and that was about two weeks ago, uh, that you know, he was a little bit surprised by this. This seems to have taken them, I say them, the administration, by surprise. They just kind of assumed that that bill was going to pass. I think they did assume that it would pass. Obviously, they hadn't notified employees until after the funding was clearly not going to be there. Um, so in a lot of ways, yes. But um, the Senate contends that, you know, they did have reservations. They had them early and they made them known. You know, Governor Wolf also says that, well, they let them know early on that uh, they were, you know, this was going to be the consequence, layoffs. So it really, again, it's just people, they're, they're fundamentally disagreeing over what has caused this. And one of the other things the Senate has said, too, is that Governor Wolf, and this is where we get into, I think we're going to talk about right. Scott Wagner, Senator mm -hmm. Wagner, they've said that the layoffs are a political move. Mm -hmm. And now, so that's a fairly, um, you know, that's an allegation. That's a pretty serious one. Um, but yeah, Wagner, I think. Well, well let's yeah. let's talk about a little bit of background with Senator Wagner sure. from York County, who, by the way, has, if not officially, very much, on a, you know, very close to be, it's like the closest official announcement I've ever seen without being official of uh, saying that, yeah, he intends to run for governor in uh, 2018. But um, he took credit for, you know, 
stopping this vote. And he said he was you know, playing the part. He was defending Pennsylvania taxpayers when doing this. Well, now, uh, you know, the union representing these laid off workers, have, they've uh, demonstrated in front of his office. A lot of point, people pointing fingers at Senator Wagner saying, you know, you're the you're the Grinch here. These people are being laid off, uh, you know, a week before Christmas. And you're the reason behind this. You're playing politics. Senator Wagner, I guess, had had enough of that and called a press conference yesterday that you attended. So what's he saying here? So uh, Senator Wagner is basically pinning this on the governor. This is him taking the side of the Senate GOP and saying Tom Wolf is playing politics. Governor Wolf is a failed governor that is seeking to salvage his political career and he's using the livelihood of state employees as pawns to do so. That's uh, pretty strong. It's pretty strong, yes. Um, and I think it's worth noting that uh, Senator Wagner has been compared to Donald Trump and his bearing and the way uh, I think he uh, does his job. Now, so some background, Senator Wagner, he's been a senator since 2014. He's fairly new. And he uh, owns a trash hauling company. He's a, a wealthy guy. Um, but he has a sort of the same sort of drain the swamp uh, message that Donald Trump does. So the way that plays in here is Senator Wagner has said, you know, they're playing politics with this. This is irresponsible spending. So that's his perspective. Obviously, we've heard the Wolf administration's perspective that. Well, well, let's talk about that. When you say it's irresponsible spending, when they say it's irresponsible spending, in what way? Now, they point out that, uh, you know, that computer system that you talk about, that the money was going to, that, you know, and they're nowhere near done, as recent Republicans said. Why use that as the reason for not funding this that, you know, would close three of these unemployment compensation centers uh, and put 520 people out of work? So the reason that they've given me is that this was a four-year funding stream that was only supposed to be for four years, and now we're adding on a year, and they think the cutoff is too nebulous. I think the fear that they're saying that they have is that uh, this funding may just not go away, that they're going to have to continue this funding stream for more years. Um, and obviously, the Wolf administration has said no. We said that we would stop the funding after an additional year, but... Uh, I think it's a, a trust issue as well. Um, so there, I, there's several components that go into it, but that's pretty much it. That they don't, they say that there's no guarantee that funding will stop. Mm. Uh, another thing that uh, Senate Republicans have said is that. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, that they have accused the governor of playing politics, and the governor has accused the Republicans of playing politics. But the Senate Republicans are saying that. You know, this is something that uh, Tom Wolf could control. He could find that $57 million somewhere else and fund fund these unemployment compensation centers and that, uh, you know, these people wouldn't have to lose their jobs. So the Republicans are pointing fingers at the governor saying, this is your fault. It's on you. Right. They're saying this is Governor Tom Wolf's decision, that that's how he wants to deal with this. Um, speaking to uh, Jen Coker, who's the Senate GOP spokeswoman, she said that um, there are she thinks that there's evidence that there's plenty of money. Um, somebody was quoted once saying that the program would fully run out of money in April. And they're saying, well, that shows you that there's enough money to get us through till April. But on the on the governor's side, he says, no, we can't just you know, keep this program running until it runs out of money. Um, we have to make, you know, plans earlier on than that. So it's just 
they think the governor had more options. The governor says, no, I'm not making this decision lightly. Like, this is the only option. So, again, I mean, it's difficult to know who is correct here. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of finger pointing on both sides. You know, Katie, and, you know, I'm not looking for an opinion so much as an observation, but, you know, this is one of the things that just turns voters off. And we're talking about voters, talking about Pennsylvanians, talking about uh, Americans. You know, we went through, just went through a very contentious uh, presidential election campaign. But when people hear something like this, they're like, what? I can't believe they're playing politics. Whoever is, you know, whichever side is uh, to blame here, they're playing with people's lives. Not only the people who will be laid off, but those people service people who have lost their jobs. That, you know, people who need unemployment compensation because they've been laid off or they've lost their jobs. And it's one of the things that, that really makes people... I don't know, so negative about the government and so cynical about the politicians overall. I, I, I don't mean to make a speech, Katie. And you're just nodding your head at me. And uh, But I mean, I'm sure you've heard this from voters as well. I have heard that. No, I have heard that over and over from voters um, and from people who you know are on both sides of the issue. Many of the people I've spoken to, I will say, um, were the people who are rallying outside of Senator Wagner's office. They're unionized folks. So they are, you know, on the governor's side, technically, but the overwhelming feeling that you get from these people is that this is all just very complicated, you know, stuff that boils down to 521 people or more losing their jobs. Um, And that does feel like they feel like they're being used as, you know, as pawns. You know, they feel like people are just, you know, saying, well, this is collateral, you know, these 500 people getting laid off before Christmas. So, yeah, I mean, not to like say, well, this is my opinion about it, but that's what people are saying. Mm-hmm. We have an email here, and this actually came in during our first segment of the program when we had Matthew Niddle on. But it is related to, uh, you know, what we're discussing here. Uh, This email says the layoff of state employees is just the latest cutback that will keep Pennsylvania from being competitive in the 21st century. Most agencies, especially DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection, are already operating without sufficient resources. Instead of more cutbacks, legislators should have the courage to enact a natural gas severance tax and tax on pipelines like other states being considered other taxes that affect other than uh, taxes that affect working people. Now, you know, that's an opinion of uh, one of our, our listeners. But the part that uh, he or she says, I don't know whether this is a man or a woman, about uh, agencies right now operating without sufficient resources, DEP in particular, you know, we've heard that with the natural ga- the expansion of the natural gas industry here in Pennsylvania, that there aren't enough inspectors. I, again, I can't get you to comment on this, but these are all things I'm sure you've heard, too. I have, yeah. I mean, just um, you you talk to a lot of agency spokespeople, agency heads um, when you're covering the Capitol. And what you hear over and over again is, yeah, we don't have as many resources as we would like to have. Um, and obviously that goes you know, to extremes sometimes in the case of unemployment compensation where they had to lay off many of their workers. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's kind of it's nothing new, right, you know, right. Is there anything going on behind the scenes with these layoffs that uh, it, that there's something being done to try to head off the layoffs and solve this situation, or at least solve it for, for now? You know, I have asked that question many times. No one has... I- 
as far as anybody from um, the program, the unemployment compensation program has said, as far as the governor has said, as far as the Senate has said, um, the layoffs are happening. Um, that you know that could change. We have until the nineteenth, but uh, yeah, it it does seem like there aren't alternative plans right now, as far as I can tell. Now, I mean, we've had situations before where at the last minute a fix was found, but uh, in this case, nothing has come to light yet. Now, I want to go back to our first segment, Katie, where we were talking about the IFO, the Independent Fiscal Office, and their budget uh, forecast for, for Pennsylvania. You know, I look at this situation, and to me, it just does not bode well for cooperation going into what will be a very challenging budget year. It doesn't. Um, in short, no. Um, we, again, after this election, the Republicans uh, have a much larger majority than they've had. I think the largest majority they've had since like the Eisenhower presidency in the House and Senate. And so um, it's not a veto-proof majority in the House. So that's, I mean, the governor still has that. But it, it's going to be very contentious. And I think we're going to see when you know the governor's race gets going, when we have Senator Wagner running for governor, there's going to be a lot of political factions at work and I think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of deadlock more maybe than we had seen pre previously All right, well let's look over the next few months are you hearing anything about the upcoming budget other than the IFO making these forecasts um, not a lot of specifics but I can tell you that you know we have a strong conservative contingent especially in the house um, that is going to be very against any large tax increases, a broad-based tax increase of the kind that Governor Tom Wolf has repeatedly, you know, attempted to institute. It doesn't look likely that that will happen. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of, um, and this happened in the previous budget just this summer, where, uh, you know, we rely more on so-called vice taxes. So an increase in the cigarette tax. I think, you know, people are going to try things like that. Um you know how well those work. We're going yeah, to have to see. You only can tax cigarettes so much. <laughs> you can only tax cigarettes so much, and we still have. I mean, this is going back to again the budget that was passed this summer, but we have um, a gambling tax that still hasn't been passed. So I mean, there's revenue there that hasn't come in yet. So we're going to have to see. But uh, it, it looks like the way things are going, it seems like people are going to try things like that. Again, uh, Katie, and I'm only giving you 30 seconds on this. And <laughs> this is a challenge in itself. Uh, with those Republican majorities, are there priorities that uh, the Republicans have said, okay, now that we have bigger majorities that we want to tackle? Um, you know, I haven't heard anything specific yet. I, I think, obviously, everyone talks about pension reform. Pension reform is right. the big one. Um, gambling reform is going to be something that's going to come up, and that's going to be a large story when they come back in session. But uh, other than that, I mean, they're going to throw their weight around. What about liquor? And, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, we have had some changes there, but uh, will Republicans push more? I think they are pushing for increased privatization. Obviously, it's early to say, but that does seem to be the trend. Mm -hmm. Katie Meyer is WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief. Katie, thank Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Coming up on tomorrow's program, December 7th, it is the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. We'll talk with several survivors, including one who actually is at Pearl Harbor, and we'll be talking with him from Hawaii.